great day to be in the house of the Lord today. Amen. Amen. It is a good day. I was I was thinking this morning. Number one, it's beautiful outside, and I know sometimes it's easy to want to do something else when it's beautiful outside. But it's something really powerful about gathering as the body of Christ, and uh, I love it when we get to celebrate who God is uh, through song, uh, through the uh, through the the written word, the spoken word. I mean, I love to be able to be a part of what God is doing. And so today, you guys may not realize this, but we are a part of a, another church plant that is being that is taking place in South Haven, Mississippi. And uh, so our next young adults, they're uh, they're on a trip. They're all literally they went up there yesterday. So they're helping. So they're the parking team. They're the they're the greeters. They're the ushers. They're helping out with a church called Foy Church, which is the House of Impact. That's their name. Lord gave it to to the pastor. So that's we're gonna roll with it. But anyway. They, they're meeting in a skating ring today. How cool is that? So they are meeting in a skating ring, and we as a church were able to help out with, with helping purchase some uh, video projectors for them to get started. So they're starting today. So Allison and Mary Lacey, so some of you guys know them. They're part of that church. Todd uh, and their family are all part of that church plant. So that's pretty exciting. And then this morning, yeah, give it up, give it up. I think it's awesome to be a part of something that's bigger than us. And so this morning I thought this was cool. I, I was talking to one of our ushers, and anyway, he was sharing with me that his daughter is uh, applied, and she is going to be a missionary to uh, to Uganda for six months as a journeyman. I thought, how neat is that? So she is going over there, and she's going to be serving with a, a missionary that's already th- there that, you know, that teaches how to read uh, by teaching people to read the Bible. And uh, so she is going to be a part of that. So isn't that cool? So let's give it up for that, that God is at work. And so that's some of our folks, some of our students, again, going to make a difference. And then I had a, right after that, I had a gentleman walk up to me that, He's, he's taking a new job. He's going to be moving to another state out west. And anyway, we were just talking about that. And God has really been doing a work in his family and his marriage. And he said, man, I just want to thank you for Journey Church. And he said, man, just I, I love what God has done in, in me and our, my family while we're here. And I told him, I said, you know what? God is sending you there to make a difference. So I think sometimes we think that we're just going to do a job or we're going somewhere else. But God is sending you as a missionary. Just like the young lady who was going to Uganda, we think, oh, that's a mission. No, no, no. Your workplace, your school, wherever you go, it is a mission field. That's what we, we have to have that mentality. So, I mean, just so the start of the day has been a good day. You know what I'm saying? Just to, before we even had the first service, it was that way. And so God's been working even since then. And so I love just being a part of that. And so I want us to kind of move into the message now. And, and I want you to kind of think along these lines. Set back or set up? Set back or set up? So a job move or job transfer, is that a set back or set up? It could be either. But we believe that God is setting you up for something special. So, so that question, there's some of you guys that are going through, through some things right now. You don't know if it's a setback. You don't know if it's a setup. And it's okay to ask God questions like that. There have been times in my life where I've been like, you know, God, what are you doing? God, I don't get it. I don't understand. And so there are times that we may go through tough times and tough seasons. And so we've got to ask God, you know, what are you doing? And it's okay to ask that Jesus modeled that. Father, can this cup pass from me? And then we see other leaders and other people throughout the Bible that were asking God, God, why are you letting this happen? God, why are we suffering defeat? God, why are we going through this situation? And so there's some of you that are going through maybe a tough time. Maybe you feel like it's a setback, but it could be a setup. It could be that God is setting you up for something special. And he wants to do that work. And so today I want us to kind of dig back in, if you will, to uh, Nehemiah. We were there last week. And, and Nehemiah is such an incredible story. And if you're into any kind of leadership, if you're a team builder, if you're a coach, it'd be a great book of the Bible to read, Nehemiah. So we, we saw where Nehemiah uh, had a vision. You know, number one, he had a burden, too. He had, he had a burden for his, his home, uh, his home uh, town, whatever, Jerusalem. He'd got a bad report, and 
you know, the walls had been torn down, the, the city gates had been burned, and, and so he was grieving to the point of, of weeping, you know, day and night. He began to pray day and night. And so he had this burden, but he had a vision. He said, God, you know, how can I be a part of that? It seemed impossible. He's just a cupbearer. Now, cupbearer was a pretty important role, but it still was not, he didn't have what he needed to be able to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. I mean, that was a major undertaking. But God gave him a vision. God gave him a vision. And maybe, you know, we talked about that last week. Maybe we just need to ask God, God, what is, what is the vision that you have? How are you going to make this, this happen? And, and, and so Nehemiah was willing to put it all on the line. He took, he took a risk. He risked it all. So he goes before the king with a, a, a bad countenance, if you will, or a sad countenance. And that could have cost him his life. To approach the king in an unworthy manner could, could mean uh, death for you. And so the, the king notices it. and He says, hey, what can I do to help you? And so literally God provided how everything would be taken care of with the walls through this king. And, and, and so we've got to be willing to do things that maybe don't make sense sometimes. We talked about that last week. And we talked about tithing, you know, returning God's tithe and giving. And, and what our potential is as a church if we were all to just trust God in that area of our lives. And so there are times that God asks us to do things. So Nehemiah, you know, we, we, we kind of covered most of it last week. We even realized, you know, hey, they rebuilt the wall. They ran into some opposition. The enemy was going to attack them. But I want us to unpack it a little bit more today. And so if you've got your outline, you can kind of follow along. Nehemiah 4, 6 through 12, it says, At last the wall was completed to half its, its, half, half its height around the entire city. So in other words, we're going to kind of pick up where it's halfway done. Because we know, you know what, the wall got built. We, we realized that from last week. But... I want us to kind of back up and unpack this a little bit. So at last the wall was completed to half, the, half its height around the entire city. For the people had worked with enthusiasm. So people were excited. You know, and then here's the thing. You know, it's, it's all good until you kind of get into the middle of some things. But look what it says. But when Sambalot and Tobiah and, and the Arabs, the Ammonites and the Ashdodites, heard that the work was going ahead and the gaps in the wall of Jerusalem were being repaired, they were furious. They all made plans to come and fight against Jerusalem and throw us into confusion. But we prayed to our God and guarded the city day and night to protect ourselves. So not only did they pray to God and they asked God to do his part, they also did their part. And so they asked for God to protect them. So God, they guarded the city day and night to protect ourselves. And then the people of Judah began to complain. The workers are getting tired. And there is so much rubble to be moved. We will never be able to build the walls by ourselves. Meanwhile, our enemies were saying, before they know what's happening, we will swoop down on them and kill them and end their work. And the Jews who lived near, the enemy came and told us again and again, they will come from all directions and attack, and attack us. And so what Nehemiah is dealing with there is the wall is halfway built, you know, and, and then all of a sudden there seems to be a few setbacks. There seems to be a few issues that have come up. You know, and they're trying to finish, they're trying to complete some things. And so I want us to look at four setbacks that can be, that can cause discouragement. And, and many, many times we, you know, we're going through some things and we get discouraged. And there's four things that I think are pretty, that happen to most of us, are pretty common, that are, can be setbacks that can lead to discouragement. So number one is this, when something takes longer than expected. When something takes longer than expected, we can kind of get frustrated, right? We can kind of get uh, uh, been out of shape. So when things don't, they go longer than expected. So let, let's pick up right there in verse 10. It says, Then the people of Judah began to complain. The workers are getting tired, and there's so much rubble to be moved. We will never be able to build the wall by ourselves. 
And so there's a couple of cool things in there. Number one, they realized they couldn't do it by themselves. So we need to be willing to say, hey, listen, God, help us to focus on what can happen if you do your part and we do our part. Not just what we can do. But, God, we focus on what you can do as well as what we can do together. But we have a tendency sometimes when things take longer than expected, we kind of get discouraged or we kind of get an attitude. I mean, it happens all the time with sermons. You know what I'm saying? I mean, people go, man, he's going long today. They start looking at their, their watch. They start thinking about food. They start thinking about everything else. And, uh, you know, and, so, and then they complain. I mean, they know what it says. They complain. You know, sometimes they complain. But the thing is, is we have to be willing to say, you know what? You know, God, help me, help me to be, stay focused. You ever been in a meeting that you go, I thought this was going to be a 30-minute meeting. I thought it was going to be a one-hour meeting. You know, and it's going over, and all of a sudden you're checked out. You're not because li- you're 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 focused on something else. You're not focused on the the meeting or what you're trying to get out of that meeting or what you're trying to accomplish. And oftentimes we get focused and we're distracted and we you know we're discouraged. You know, there's times that we may we, we may think you know, hey, listen, I'm moving towards something and I'm I'm tired. You know, this is taking longer than I thought it was going to take. Maybe it's house cleaning. You know, hey, maybe you're going to do some spring cleaning. And you say, hey, listen, we got to be able to knock this out in about three or four hours. And eight hours later, you're still, you know, you're still working. You're like, man, I'm discouraged. I'm done. I'm toast. You know, you, and so that what, that's what happens, right? Can, we can view it as a setback. So look at this statement here. It says we get fatigued and we become weary. We get fatigued and we become weary. And so what happens is we get, we get tired. We get cranky. Anybody else in here get cranky whenever you get tired? What about the person sitting beside you? Really raise your hand on that one, okay? You know, because a lot of times it's the people around us that really get cranky. You know, really, it's us. You know, it's kind of like holding a mirror up. We think it's the people around us, but we're the ones. We get cranky if we get tired. And, and I'll tell you this, when we get tired, you know, we're, we're real susceptible to things as well. I can remember as a youth pastor, I used to tell, teach students all the time, say, hey, listen, if you're going to be dating, you need to make sure you've got a plan. Know where you're going to go. Know what you're going to do. Because if you get out there and say, what do you want to do? I don't care. What do you want to do? And all of a sudden, you don't have a plan. A lot of times, you know what, the wrong things creep into your plans. And whenever you get tired, you get late, you know, and everybody wants to stay out late. I want to stay out as late as everybody else, and I want to stay out later than every, all my friends. What happens is you're tired, you're fatigued, your defenses go down. A lot of times you make bad decisions that will cost you. Same way with adults. We get involved in stuff, we get tired, we get weary, and man, we begin to let down our defenses. And so we get fatigued and we become weary. You know, hey, this takes longer than expected. Kind of like losing weight. You say, man, hey, I want to lose some weight. But, man, you know, you've been working out for a whole two days, and, man, you had not lost a whole lot of weight, and you just kind of, well, you know, this is taking too long, you know. Or, or you want to put muscle on, and you work out for a whole week, and you go, you know, I don't, I don't really see that I'm putting on a whole lot of muscle. So you give up, you quit. And the thing is, is what we do is we've got to say, you know what, it may take longer than expected. It may take longer than expected. And so we get fatigued, and we become weary. And so here's, the, here's an important thing. We need to take time to rest. We need to take time to rest. Sometimes we're going hard at it. We're going, I mean, we're giving it everything we got, and we just become weary. And we become cranky. And we begin to whine. We begin to complain. And we've got to take the time to rest. So look at what it says in Exodus 20. We went through the Ten Commandments this summer. You have, you have six days each week for your ordinary work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to, you, to the Lord, your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. And so what that was set aside for was, hey, you need to rest. Now, most of us would say, well, don't they sleep at night? You sleep every night. Every, every night you're supposed to work hard. Now, the good thing back in the day, they worked from daylight till dark, you know, and they wanted to conserve the oil. So oftentimes they didn't do a whole lot at night. They would sleep at night. They would work hard during the day. But for six days we're to work hard. That doesn't sound like the American dream, I know. 
But for six days, you're supposed to go hard at it. But on the seventh day, there needs to be a day of rest where you enjoy time with family. You work on relationships, and you spend time just letting your body recoup. But, you know, in our driven society, that doesn't always happen. And what happens is we go, we're burning the candle at both ends. We're trying to please everybody. We're trying to please ourselves. And what happens is when we're just running out of steam, we're running out of gas, and we become cranky, and we become irritable, and we become, you know, just somebody that nobody wants to be around. And so it's important for us to do that. So when, when th- something takes longer than expected, we can kind of get discouraged, and it ends up being, we look at it as a setback. But the thing is, is we just got to manage that setback better moving forward. So, like I said, we become easy targets. Look at what it says in Deuteronomy 25, 18. They attacked you when you were exhausted and weary, and they struck down those who were straggling behind. They had no fear of God. So think about what it's saying. So whenever I'm going hard, I'm going hard, I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm tired, I'm weary, we're vulnerable. It's not just that way for teenagers. Moms and dads, it's that way for us. And if we're not taking the time to feed ourselves on God's Word, then you know what? We're weary. If we're not taking time to pray, then we're weary. If we're not taking time to rest, then we're weary. And we become a very easy target. You know, and, and predators love easy targets. Those who are sick, weak, or weary. And, and so you've got to be willing to say, you know what? I want to make sure that I'm taking the time to rest. So we've got to manage that well. Here's number two. When something is more complicated than expected. Has anybody ever put any furniture together in the last five to ten years? Man, you sit there, you know, and or maybe, hey, Christmas Eve, maybe you've had to put a few things together. Has that ever happened to anybody? Yeah. You got one person reading instructions, and then you, you know you got the other ones over there they're taking the screws and they're trying to put them on the manual and go. That looks like it's bigger than the picture, you know. And you're going, is that the right screw? Is this A? Is this B? Is this C? Is this D? Hey, and where's the parts at? This one doesn't have a sticker on it, you know, type deal. And all of a sudden you're wigging out, man, because it's, it's you know it's getting a little complicated. And, and what happens is we see that as a as a setback when, when something is more complicated than expected. You're putting furniture together, putting you know, toys together sometimes, putting a bike together, whatever it might be. You know, it might take more, and so we can see that as a setback. Marriage. Marriage can be complicated. Would you agree? I, I say this, and I, I, uh, I've got a friend of mine that says it all the time. Marriage is difficult by design. It doesn't just happen. We have to work at marriage. We have to work at relationships. Relationships are complicated. You might say, well, well my, none of my relationships are really complicated. You probably don't have really meaningful relationships because if they're meaningful, they're going to be a little bit complicated. You know? and, and so you may have a lot of acquaintances, but you don't have meaningful relationships. So when, when, when something gets complicated, we see that as a setback. It's not always a setback. It just means you've got to be willing to work harder or maybe you've got to be willing to work smarter on some things. Look at what it said here in, in Nehemiah 4, 12 through 13. It says, the Jews who live near the, the enemy came and told us again and again they will come from all directions and attack us. So I placed armed guards behind the lowest parts of the, of the wall in, those, in the exposed areas. I stationed the people to stand guard by families armed with swords, spears, and, and bows. And so here's the thing is, what, what he was saying, hey, listen, we're, we're rebuilding the wall. That sounds okay, right? And so everybody's good with that. But all of a sudden it got complicated because you got the enemy that's saying, hey, they're coming to attack. And notice he had these, these same people that came back all the time and said, hey, listen, they're going to come and attack. They're going to come and attack. And, you know, and it was constantly reminding them again and again and again, the enemy is going to come and attack. We covered that last week. We know the enemy is going to attack. That's their job, right? But we don't live in fear of that. And, and, and so here, you know, it's saying, hey, listen, man, it's complicated. Not only are you guys going to have to work at rebuilding the wall, you also got to be on defense. 
You also got to be alert. You got to be aware of what's going on around you. And so this, this being complicated can cause frustration. Man, I'm trying to work on the wall. But hey, somebody's got to be watching for the enemy. And, and so here's the thing is we can get frustrated when things are complicated. We can get really frustrated when things are complicated. We're like, you know, my, my marriage, man, it's just, you know, it's just, it's gotten complicated. And so we get frustrated. But here's the thing, what we do, what we ought to be willing to do whenever it's going like that, we say, you know what, we need some help. And so just because it's complicated, we don't give up on the marriage. What we do is we go see a, a counselor. We go see a good Christian counselor that gives biblical advice. We find some people that love us and they love our marriage and they love our family and they want to see our marriage succeed. And so we find those people and we begin to hang out with them. That's what these life groups are. You know, the reason that we try to get you guys to do life groups is we want you around people that love you, that care about you, that they pray for your kids, they pray for your marriage, they speak truth into you, they share God's Word and what God's Word says about whatever your relationships might be. And so just because it gets complicated doesn't mean you check out, it just means you say, you know what, let's work at making sure, you know what, that we're doing the right things. Let's, let's ask for help. If you've ever been putting something together, maybe working on something on your car, you guys ever Google or ever YouTube, because a lot of times somebody has gone through that before you. They've already replaced that part. They already know what a, a pain it is. And so they literally say, hey, listen, I'm doing this video to help the guys that are coming behind me. Well, let me just say this to some of you guys who your marriage is struggling. There's lots of marriages that have gone through the struggles, and they're just ahead of you. And instead of trying to reinvent the wheel or just kind of figure it out on your own, maybe you ought to ask for help from somebody who has been, walked ahead of you. And maybe it's a family member or an aunt or an uncle or maybe it's even your in-laws. You know, and you think, well, you know, not my in-laws. They could be good, solid Christian believers who have walked that journey ahead of you and they want to help. They're not trying to hurt you. And so we've got to be willing to ask when it gets complicated. We ask for help. You know, and we've got to not get frustrated but get focused. And that's part of what we have to work on. Excellence. You know, one of the things that we love, that, 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 most people like excellence, right? Most people like excellence except when they're trying to provide excellence. Because excellence means that you sweat the details. You think about the little things. You go above and beyond just the average. In other words, it's not just good enough for government work. It's not just good enough to get by. You're saying, you know what, we want to raise the bar. We want to kind of go next shelf, top shelf. We want it to be done with excellence. And excellence takes focus. It takes, you know, it's complicated. And it's saying, you know, hey, we're not just, you know, we're not just trying to do it good enough. We're trying to do it excellent. And I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but the things that we do for God, the Bible says that we're to bring excellence. We bring our very best. We don't bring him leftovers and give him whatever we don't want. We bring him our best. So it's, if it's our effort, if it's our focus, if it's our gifts, we bring him our very best. When we talked about last week, we were talking about returning God's tithe. That's the first 10% of our income. It's not the last. So the first thing we ought to give is, God, we want to return your tithe. God, we want to give an offering that ought to be our best, our first fruits, not our leftovers. And so God is saying, hey, listen, excellence, excellence. And so if it takes, it takes work. You have to work at making sure things are done with excellence. And so it can get complicated. Here's number three. When I start to doubt my own ability, when I start to doubt my own ability, I don't know about you, but I grew up doubting my own ability. I struggled with insecurity. It was one of those things I had to overcome. God had to allow me to overcome that. And so what happens whenever, you know, we, we struggle with focusing on, we, we focus on what we bring to the table rather than what God brings to the table. We, we focus and we begin to doubt our own ability. It says that we will never be able to build the wall by ourselves. 
And it, it creates, this causes a sense of failure. We will never be able to do this. We will never be able to do that. There are some of you out there that you have said, you know what, I will never be able to do this. And you've already disqualified yourself. You've already said, you know what, I'll never be good enough. I'll never be able to get up in front of people. I'll never be this, I'll never be that. In other words, you're already speaking that over yourself. You're speaking negativity over yourself. You're speaking negativity over your future. Instead of speaking life and believing and having a vision and being willing to do the hard work, what we do is we just say, I will never. And sometimes we use forever words like that in our marriage, don't we? You never do this. You never do that. You know, and it's just, it comes across as negativity. So we're speaking negativity over our spouse. We tell our kids, we speak negativity over them. And so we've got to be willing to say, God, help me to speak life. Help me speak life over the, the people in my life. And so when I begin to doubt my own ability, man, it causes a sense of failure. So, I, you know, I think back to whenever I felt like God was calling me into the ministry. I remember thinking, God, I'll do whatever you want me to do. But, God, I am not getting up in front of people. And, God, I'm not going to preach, and I'm not going to be able to lead worship, and I'm not going to be able to do. And I told God everything that I would not do, and I was focusing on what I brought to the table, not what he could do. You know, and I've had, and I have done everything I told him I would not do because he's put me in a situation where I had to. And the thing that I love about that is because I was, a, you know, I was able to overcome some fears in my life, not because of anything I did, but because of what he brings to the table. And so when I start to doubt my own ability, it causes a sense of failure. There's some of you in this room, you think, you know, I'd love to be able to do this, but you go, I'm just not good enough. There's some of you in here that you think if everybody in here knew my past, they wouldn't even want me in this room. But God knows everything about you. He knows your worst thought. He knows your worst act. And He loves you. He, he sent His Son Jesus to die for you. He wants a relationship with you. He wants, to be able to, he wants to be able to do life with you. He wants to be able to literally speak into your life daily truth that will set you free, that you'll begin to focus not on what you bring to the table, but what He brings to the table. And so God wants to be able to speak those things into us. There are so many times that we never even attempt things. We never even attempt things because we're focused on us. And we think that we're such losers that we'll never accomplish anything. And what we've got to do is we've got to believe in the God who says, you know what? Through you, I can do great and mighty things. This target over here, if I never take a shot, I'll miss 100% of the shots I never take. If I never attempt anything for God, I'll miss every time. And there's some of you that you'll, you'll never be able to accomplish some of the things that God wants to do in you because you're not willing to trust Him and take that step. And so I'll miss, every, I'll miss 100% of the shots I never take. But every once in a while, you've got to be willing to say, God, I trust you. And I don't know how you're going to use me. God, I don't know what you're going to do. And I don't know how this is going to turn out. But, God, I'm trusting you. And I'm going to take a shot at hitting the target that you have put before me. And so, God, I'm trusting you. And, God, I know I, I, know I don't have it. But I know that you do. And, and think about Nehemiah. Nehemiah's going, I don't have what it takes to rebuild a wall. But, God, I know that you do. And, God, I know that you own everything. You own the cattle on a thousand hills, Lord. Everything is yours. Everything that I have. God came from you, so God, I'm trusting you. And here's the thing. He'll give you a voice. He'll give you a vision. He'll give you whatever it takes to accomplish his goal. But you've got to trust him. And so too often what we do is we let this setback of our focus on our ability rob us of God's, what God wants to do in our life. Here's number four. When the opposition seems to grow stronger. 
when the opposition seems to grow stronger, that can be a major setback. We're sitting here thinking, hey, we're trying to do the right thing, but yet, man, the enemy seems to be more and more uh, more influential. Maybe they're growing stronger. Maybe there's more of them. And, and so look at what it says. It says, meanwhile, our enemies were saying, before they know what's happening, we will swoop down on them and kill them and end their work. Remember, the Jews kept telling everybody, hey, this is what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen. You had these negative Nancys, man, that kept saying the negative things and kept, you know, hey, just want you to know this is what they're going to do. And so the focus became more on them than it was on the work that God had for them to do. But it says when the opposition seems, seems to grow stronger, you might want to underline that or circle that. I put seems for a reason. Because too often what we do is we look around us and we go, man, Satan's winning. We look at our culture. We look at our society. We go, Satan's winning. We look around and it looks like the, the enemy is stronger than the church. And I'm just telling you, that's a lie from hell, man. It's not true. But too often what we do is we begin to think, that you know what? Satan's winning. He, he, we're losing this world. The church is not doing its job. But God has already said that we have a responsibility. He has called us and he has commissioned us as his, his, his believers, as his body of Christ, to go out and to make a difference. Now, too, too often, we're just sitting back not doing our part. But we've got to be willing to say, God, here I am, use me. God, use my, my voice for, for your purposes and for your kingdom. God, use my hands for your purposes and for your kingdom. God, I want to be a part of what you're doing. So we, too often we get to listen to the media, we get to watching TV, and we begin to think, all right, the, the, the enemy is growing stronger and stronger and stronger. And whenever that happens, we become fearful. Look at that next statement. It says, this causes fear. And God's Word says, I have not given you a spirit of fear or timidity, but of power and a sound mind. So what do you believe? Do you believe the news? Do you believe the media? Or do you believe the Word of God? He's, get, he's not given us a spirit of fear or of timidity where we have to be afraid. You know, one of the things that I, I think I see happening is there are so many people, you know, that, that go, you know what, man, I would love to run for a, an office, but I'm afraid that they'll, they'll, they'll barbecue me on, in the media. And, man, I just don't want to put my family through that. Let me just tell you this. Our cities, our state, our country needs godly men and women to lead, to lead, not just sit back and be, I'm afraid. Y'all can clap it up. I'm just telling you, we need that. Our cities need that. Our children need that. And too often what we do, we're afraid. Somebody might find something in my past. Well, the best thing to do is to run to the light and say, man, I am jacked up. I am broken. I'm telling you, man, if it hadn't have been for Christ, I would have no future. And just be willing to tell them on the front end. Rather than hide something, bring it into the light. The Bible says it's going to be brought into the light anyway. So bring it into the light and say, you know what, I am broken. I am needy. I needed a Savior. I have been changed. I have been transformed by the power of God through Jesus Christ. And here's the thing. And then say, you know what? I'm not going to live in fear. I'm going to go and make a difference in my city. I'm going to make a difference in my state. I'm going to make a difference in my country. And I'm just telling you, we need that. Our children need that. And too often we live in fear. Hey, if I speak up, if somebody finds out I'm a Christian or I'm a believer, you know what, they're going to ridicule me. Yes, they will. But greater is he that is in me than he that is in this world. And we have to walk with that kind of mentality. We have been given a spirit of power and a sound mind, not fear and timidity. And so too often we look at that and we go, that's a setback. No, it's not. It is a set up for God to receive more glory because he does use broken vessels. He does use people that are messed up. He does use people that have been redeemed and been transformed by the power of God. And so God gets more glory in that than somebody that's just perfect, that doesn't have any mess-ups. We all have messed up. We all have blown it. We all have fallen short of God's glorious standard. And so we've got to be able to say, you know what, God, that is not a setback for me. 
God, if anything, it sets me up to be able to go out and make a difference and you get more glory. And so we've got to be willing to look at these, these first four things and say, you know what? When, hey, when something takes longer than expected, it's not a setback. When something gets complicated, it's not necessarily a setback. It's just a time to ask for help, and it's a time to focus on, on what needs to happen. Number three, when I start to doubt my own ability, we all are broken. We all are in need of a Savior. We're all in need of someone to redeem us. And so we've got to be willing to say, you know what, God, it's not about what I bring to the table. It's what you bring to the table. And then number four, when the opposition, opposition seems to grow stronger, they're going to lose. If you read the Bible, it is clear that, you know, that, that Jesus has won the victory. I don't know if you realize this, but when Jesus went to the cross, he purchased every one of us. He paid the price for my sin, past, present, and future sin. He paid for your lie. He paid for your greed. He paid for your jealousy. He paid for your unrighteous anger. So Jesus literally bled out his precious blood and died so that you might live. Now, here's the cool thing. He went and he defeated death, the grave, and hell. He holds the keys to it, and he literally offers it to us. He said, hey, listen, I want you to live like you ain't ever lived before. I want you to go out, and I want you to make a difference. I want you to be a difference maker, an influencer, a leader, not just sitting back and going through the motions. And so the thing is, is what Satan thought was a setback is that Jesus would be crucified and he would be put in a grave. He thought was a setback was actually the setup for changing everything. It literally brought us eternal life. And so look at, let's look at these things here that Nehemiah did. So what should I do when I feel like giving up? And there will be times we will feel like giving up. I remember Laurie and I talking about this. In the first year of Journey Church, it was a tough year. And I think about that church that's starting in South Haven, Mississippi. There will be times that they will want to quit. Thank God Laurie and I never went to quit on the same day. You know, so it was one of those things where you just hope and pray that, you know, with Kevin and his wife, Tabitha, they will never want to quit on the same day. Because there will be times you'll want to quit. But you've got to be willing to dig down. You've got to be willing to press on. You've got to make sure that, you know what, hey, I'm doing the right things. And so here's what Nehemiah did. So do what he did, because we all want to finish well. And we want to finish the wall, per se. We want to finish well. And so here's the thing. Make adjustments to whatever's not working. Make adjustments to, not, to what's not working. There may be some of you in this room that your marriage is falling apart. And you keep thinking, we'll figure it out. We hadn't yet. Make an adjustment. Do something different. Go to a Christian counselor. Go find somebody that's further along. Get with them. You might say, well, you know what, man? Hey, I'm failing this class, and this is the third time I've taken it, and I'm not, I'm not going to do a W this time. I'm not just going to withdraw. I'm going to finish. Well, get some help. Maybe get a tutor. Get someone to help you. It's kind of like in baseball. We say this all the time. If you go up and strike out every time, change something. Change your swing. Change what you look at. Change something. But do something different, right? And so what we have a tendency to do in our, in our lives is we keep doing the same thing over and over and over without making adjustments. Nehemiah made adjustments. Look here. This is what he was doing to begin with. He said, so I placed armed guards behind the lowest parts of the wall in the exposed areas, and I stationed the people to stand guard by families, armed with swords, spears, and bows. So that's what he was doing that we see there in uh, Nehemiah 4.13. Look at the statement here. This is, we all know this definition. The definition of insanity He's doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. All right, that's, that's the definition of insanity. So if you're doing the same thing over and over and you keep coming up with the same result, change something, make an adjustment, move in a different direction, find somebody else. If you're going to the same counselor, hey, man, it's not helping, get a donor counselor. I, I told somebody this past week, I said, if your child was battling a, a, an illness, you know, and, and you thought, you know what, hey, man, if we don't do something, they're going to die. Where are you going to go? Most everybody in this room said, I'm going to UAB Children's Hospital. Why? Because they're the best. Then do the same thing with your marriage. Go to the best one you can find. 
You know, if, if you go, hey, you know it's going to cost money to, to go to marriage counseling. I know, I get that. But here's what happened. We said, well, you know, we didn't want to spend that money. But if your child needed a shot that was $10,000 or either they die, I guarantee you you'll find the money. And let me tell you, I'll just tell you, every, every marriage in here, your marriage is just as important as your child. You've got to be willing to say, you know what, I'm going to invest. I'm going to do whatever it takes to make sure that my marriage is the best it can be. And it's the greatest thing that you could give to your child. It's stability and a love that they go, you know what, that is the love of God that my mom and dad have for each other. And you know what, man, it is eternal. It has been influenced by the eternal God, the one true God. And I want that whenever I get married. And so I'm just telling you, if we would invest in our marriages the way that we invest in our children, I'm just telling you, we would have a lot better marriages sitting in the churches, and it would make a greater impact in our communities. And so we've got to be willing to make adjustments. So that's what Nehemiah did. He says, but from then on, only half the men worked while the other half stood guard with spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. He changed things up a little bit. The leaders stationed themselves behind the people of, of Judah who were building the wall. The laborers carried on their work with one hand supporting their load and one hand holding a weapon. All the builders had a sword belted to their side, and the trumpeter stayed with me to sound the alarm. So then I explained to the nobles and officials and all the people, the work is very spread out, and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. When you hear the blast on the trumpet, rush to wherever it is sounding, and then our God will fight for us. I love that. And so what he was saying, hey, listen, guys, we're working all along this wall. We talked about it last week. It was one family was working on a place in front of their home. You know, and it would be like the Mazingos and the Smiths and the Jones were all working side by side. And they kept hearing, hey, these same Jews keep telling us again and again and again, hey, man, they're going to swoop in. They're going to attack us. They're going to kill us. Because they kept hearing it over and over and over again. So he kind of made some adjustments to his battle plan. And he said, hey, listen, when you guys hear the blast on the trumpet, everybody come running. Everybody come help fight the fight. Man, that's the way it ought to be in the church. Hey, when there's a need, everybody responds. Not just one or two, but everybody responds. That's the way it ought to be. And, and so here he's saying, hey, listen, let's make some adjustments. And so many times, like I said, we just don't make the adjustments. We keep doing the same thing over and over. But he said, hey, listen, we're going to do it a little bit different. Whenever you blow that horn, man, everybody come running and be ready for battle. And everybody already had a sword on. They were already ready to roll. And so are you prepared? Are you equipped and ready for the battles that will come? Because they will surely come. And look at the next thing. We need to refocus on God. I love this one here. We need to refocus on God. This is what Nehemiah did. It says, Then as I looked over the situation, I called together the nobles and the rest of the people and said to them, Don't be afraid of the enemy. Don't be afraid of the enemy. I say, I think the church needs to hear that. Don't be afraid of the enemy. We don't walk in fear of him. If anything, we're going to walk in, in a holy, reverent fear of God. We don't walk in fear of the enemy. And so he's reminding the people, Don't walk in fear of the enemy. But look at what he says. Remember the Lord who is great and glorious, and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your home. Man, don't we need to be reminded of that? We're fighting the good fight. We're pressing on. We're doing everything we can to make a difference for our families, for our homes, for our community. That we don't grow weary from doing good, but we keep doing the right thing. We keep fighting the good fight. Look at what it says in Hebrews 12, 1 through 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. 
What a great reminder. The man that we stay focused on Christ. Jesus was God fully in flesh, but yet fully God. And so when I look at that target, and here's, here's what we have a tendency to do. We just focus on that, hey, there's a target over there. But if you know much about trying to shoot with accuracy or trying to hit a target or hit a, hit a spot, there's a bullseye on that target. And so what you're supposed to aim at or focus on is the bullseye. And so you focus on the bullseye, not the target. You aim at the target, you hit anywhere on it. But the whole goal is to try to train yourself to focus on the, the bullseye. And the bullseye on the target for us is Jesus. And here's, here's what happens. If I focus enough on that center target, on that bullseye, the rest of that becomes peripheral. It actually even blurs out. My vision will tend to blur out what's around it, and I become laser beam focused on that one thing. If we laser beam focused on Christ, if we focus on Him and say, man, I want to be like Christ. I want to be changed. I want to be transformed. I want to experience resurrection power. I want to walk with, with confidence and with power and a sound mind, not with fear and, and, and timidity or trepidation, but I want to walk in that, that solid confidence of who I am in Christ. So when I become focused on Christ, man, it changes everything, and the, and the junk, if you will, becomes peripheral. It kind of dims in the light of who Christ is, and so when I focus on Him, it changes everything. And so we are to set our, our mind and set our, our focus on who Christ is. That's exactly what Nehemiah did. He said, quit focusing on the enemy. Focus on the God that we serve. And then look at this, this last one here. Resist the discouragement. It's going to come. There will be people who will ridicule. There will be people who, who will question you. I remember when I first got saved, bumping into a guy one night, and a statement he said, he said, man, God told him I was going into the ministry. He goes, you? He goes, man, you were too blank bad. And I remember thinking, man, I wasn't that bad. I started trying to think back. What, you know, and I started remembering some of the things I had said around him or done around him. And I'm thinking, yeah, I was bad. I was sinful. And I remember a girl sending me a message right, you know, right after Facebook got started. She said, Mike, I heard that you were in the ministry. And I was like, I am. And she said, well, I think about you. I think about this passage. With God, all things are possible. And I'm like, all right, was that a poke? You know, is that a jab or what? You know, so, so there's going to be discouragement. It's coming. But how will you do it? And we have to resist that discouragement. And so look at what it says here in Philippians 3, 13 through 14. This is Paul speaking. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it. In other words, he goes, hey, I haven't, I, haven't, I haven't made it there yet. He says, but look what he says. But I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the, the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Paul says, man, I quit focusing on how messed up I am, how broken I am, how many things I've done wrong, but I focus on what Christ can do in me. I focus on who He is. I focus on His perfection. I focus on His love. I focus on His forgiveness. I focus on who Jesus is, not on who Mike Mazingo is, but I focus on who He, who he is. And the fact that He can redeem me, the fact that He can save me, the fact that He can forgive me, the fact that He can heal me, that's what I focus on. And and so no matter what you're going through, maybe you're looking at life and you feel like, man, I'm going through all these setbacks and I'm going through something physical or something relational or something financial. And here's the thing, you've got to say, you know what, God, I want to change what I can change. But God, I want to focus on what you can do. And so God, I need you to help me see that, you know what, this is not just a setback. But if anything, it is a setup for what you want to do. 
And God, I want you to receive all the glory and all the praise. It's not about me. It is about making you famous. So I want to ask you if you would, just to bow your heads. I want to read this last passage before I do. I read it last week. I love this. It says, so on October the 2nd, the wall was finished. They, They were halfway through it, but they finished it just 52 days after we had begun. When our enemies and the surrounding nations heard about it, they were frightened and humiliated. They realized this work had been done with the help of our God. And let me just say this. Whatever is going on in your life, when people see it, you want them to go, you know what? I made it through this by the help of God. God is using this for His glory, and it's only by God's hand that I've been able to see this as a setup, not a setback. I want to ask you just to bow your heads. And maybe there's somebody here in this room, you've never put your faith in Christ. I want to give you that opportunity today. But I can tell you this, there's a lot of Christians in this room that you've been held captive by fear. You have have not wanted to give your all because maybe it was going to take more than what you thought. And whatever has been holding you back, maybe you've been letting setbacks become your discouragement, and you've also let it become your barrier. Maybe today you realize, you know what, hey, that's not going to happen anymore. Maybe there's some adjustments that need to happen. Maybe there's some good Christian families in here that, man, their marriage is falling apart. You need to go see a Christian counselor. You need to get around someone that can speak life into you, that can love on you, and can help you overcome those, those challenges that you're going through. Maybe it's just a rough spot. Maybe there's some of you in here that you just need some friends. Some of you men need some men in your life that will love you and they'll challenge you and they'll push you to be the best that you can be. Some of you ladies need some women in your life that can love on you and challenge you to be the best that you can be. But there's some of you in here that you need Jesus. You need to, you need to take, take today and just say, you know what? God, show me where I am in my relationship with Christ. And if you have never put your faith in Jesus for salvation, if you've never been born again, if you've never been saved, you've never been redeemed that's the need that you have today and so maybe right now right where you're at you say you just go you know what jesus that is my need and so jesus i'm asking you with all the faith that i have jesus will you come and will you save me will you come into my life will you forgive me because i've sinned i've messed up i have blown it so jesus will you come into my heart will you be my leader will you be my lord will you be my savior his answer is yes that Jesus, I want to quit living the way I've been living. I want to live for you. That's repentance. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just, and He will forgive us of all unrighteousness. And if we, will, if we repent, then the precious blood of Christ will wash away our sins, past, present, and future. And so I want to just give you the opportunity to, to ask Christ to come into your heart. It's a simple prayer. And let me just say this. It's not so much the prayer of your lips as it is the prayer of your heart. It's the surrender of your heart. But right where you're at, you say, Jesus, I am a sinner. I confess that. So, Jesus, I'm asking you to come into my life, to come into my heart, and to, and to literally cleanse me, and to save me, and to change me, and to teach me how to live for you. Jesus, I'm giving you everything. I'm giving you my heart. I'm giving you my life. And so, Jesus, with all the faith that I have, I ask you to come in and take over. If that is your prayer, the Bible says you will be saved. The Bible says that you become a child of God, co-heirs with Christ, adopted into His family. If you, just raise, if you just prayed that prayer, I just want you to raise your hand and say, Mike, I just prayed that prayer with you. I just asked Christ to come into my life. Anybody in the room? I see one hand right over here. Anybody else? Have the courage to raise your hand. I see your hand back here on the back. Anybody else? Anybody else? Two people have put their faith in Christ today for salvation. Praise God. That's awesome. Anybody else? It tells me there's a lot of Christians in this room. Men, are you, are, you, are you attempting the impossible? 
Or are you just living the mundane? Have you set low goals? Or are you attempting what only God only, only will happen if God comes through? <coughs> These two that just raised their hand, man, I want to encourage both of you. There's a room back in the back called the VIP room. We'd love to meet with you and talk with you about that decision. We want to put a Bible in your hand. We want to help you on the journey. Because here's the thing, you just started today. If you put your faith in Christ today, you were born today, spiritually. And that journey begins today. There's a lot of Christians in here that have been on that journey for a while. Are you in need of making adjustments? <coughs> Father, I thank you for today. I pray that you'd bless the teaching of your word. Change us. Use us for your purposes. In Jesus' name, amen.